what perimenopausal women experience is this sense of isolation, invisibility. And just to give you an example, some women have severe memory loss. And during their severe memory loss, they may feel that actually that they're getting early dementia. And this is a really common thing. So women might be like finding it difficult to remember names. They might find it difficult to remember places or interact with people. Now, if you're going through that and somebody around you goes, oh my goodness, that's what I went through, or oh my goodness, this is part of menopause. Suddenly the anxiety levels, the stress levels, the isolation, that invisibility bit decreases. Hello, it's Kathy here. Welcome to Pep Talks. In this podcast today, we get right to the heart of workplace wellness. We're shedding a light on issues that people face every day. And yes, World Menopause Month is over, but the conversation continues throughout the year. Today, I've got a very special guest who'll be sharing her insights on menopause and perimenopause at work and why it's a conversation that every employer should be having. And as you know, it's a subject that's dear to my heart, so I'm looking forward to a really good conversation. Dr. Claire Kay, who's joining me today, is both a medical doctor and an executive coach. She has rich experience over 20 years and is with us to bring some clarity and some perspective. I'll ask her to introduce herself in a moment, but welcome, Dr. Claire. Hi, thanks for having me, Cathy. You're welcome. Um, Can you share with us your journey, how I'm interested, how you came from being a GP to being an executive coach, and how you specialise in career development and menopause in the workplace? Yes, so it sounds a bit weird, doesn't it, when you hear me that I was a GP and now I'm an executive career coach, it's a juxtaposition. And um, I suppose actually when you think back to it, it's they're very similar. So in GP land, I was trained very much around putting the person in the centre of the consultation, so really understanding about who they were and where they came from and the narrative around them. And that's really essentially a, a, a essential skill in coaching. And I kind of loved what I did in the uh, NHS, and I was an NHS doctor for 19 years, which I'm very proud of. But then I discovered that actually there were other passions that I had. And so I decided about five years ago to pivot my career and to get into career coaching, which I am dual qualified for and I really, really am very passionate about. And I suppose to answer your question, how I ended up here and talking to you is really around the fact that it took me a while, but I started to see that a lot of the clients that I was getting were in their sort of early 40s, late 30s to sort of mid 50s often women and often feeling very low in confidence, often anxious, struggling at work, finding it difficult to go for promotion, having difficult interactions with their colleagues, particularly line managers, and just really wanting to sort of drift away and become, and feeling more invisible. And I started to see this pattern. It took a while for the penny to drop. And I was like, oh my goodness, maybe there's something else going on here with this group of women. And that's when it dawned on me that actually that a lot of these women, not all, but a lot of these women were going through perimenopause and menopause. And I started to sort of home in my coaching to that group of women and the results have been miraculous. And that to me is hugely um, impactful, both for the individual, for the community, for the organization and for myself. So that's kind of how I've got to where I am now. That's really interesting and I can uh, imagine as well as a healthcare professional myself that you were spending a lot of time attempting to do similar things in your however long you had with your patients but actually you couldn't fulfil it there either. We're moving into our section which is about busting myths. So uh, we're going to address some common myths around menopause. Uh, There's a lot of misconception around menopause despite the conversation being much much better than it ever has been in years gone by. So let's get some of these myths put to bed. So the first one for you, Claire, is 
People think that the perimenopause is really for those who are close to their 50s. Um, how is that true or false? Well, a big resounding false um, is the answer because um, the average age of the menopause is 51. But if you think about it, that's the average, not the, the, the usual. So a lot of women are experiencing menopause from 45 up until mid 50s, which means that the perimenopause, which is the stage before when you're getting fluctuating hormones, is commonly from early 40s, late 30s. And then if we go back a stage before that, around 13 million women in the UK alone are suffering from menopause at any one time. And then about 1% of those women have early um, menopause which is before the age of 40 and so actually if you imagine that 1% are having menopause before the age of 40 actually you will have some women who are in their 20s and 30s experiencing these symptoms so this definitely isn't a 50 plus issue this is something that's happening to women at the peak of their career and is really very important for both the individual but also for organizations and we know as well, don't we, that the average age um, of 51 is for white women, so it may well be that women of different races and ethnicities will be experiencing their perimenopause Absolutely. earlier as well. Um, that will impact people Absolutely. at work too. Absolutely. So sometimes there's an assumption as well that a company or an organisation can provide a standard wellness programme, whatever that might be, um, which will address the needs of a perimenopausal person. How do you think this general approach falls short? Uh, does it fall short? Okay, well, let's, let's first of all start with the fact that having a wellness program is good, and I think that's a really positive thing. So if you have that in your organisation, well done. Um, and it's definitely a step better than not having anything at all. But I think the way to, to really understand this is to understand how important it is for a perimenopausal or menopausal woman to understand and to be understood by others. So if a lot of what perimenopausal women experience is this sense of isolation, invisibility, and just to give you an example, some women have severe memory loss. And during their severe memory loss, they may feel that actually that they're getting early dementia. And this is a really common thing. So a woman might be like finding it difficult to remember names, they might find it difficult to remember places or interact with people. Now, if you're going through that and somebody around you goes, oh my goodness, that's what I went through, or oh my goodness, this is part of menopause, suddenly the anxiety levels, the stress levels, the isolation, that in invisibility bit decreases. Now, on a standard wellness program, that bit isn't there. And so I think it's really important to have tailored resources, education, um, interactions with healthcare professionals, which are really targeted for the perimenopausal or menopausal woman because not only does it make a difference in the fact that they have lots of symptoms that wouldn't normally be covered in a wellness program but just by that recognition bit significantly in, um, impacts in a positive way how women uh, are feeling in the workplace how productive they are how supported they feel just from that recognition of symptoms so the answer to your question I would say is no a wellness program isn't enough but if that's all you got that's better than nothing but if you really want to look after this really vital experienced group of women then I would say that go up to the next level and really work out what it is that your group of this group of women need and really sort of um, home in and trying to providing it for them 
Thank you. And Claire, I, I can certainly relate to uh, the phrases that you use there, um, feeling isolated and invisible. People say that all the time when they come to clinics, don't they? And when they talk to us about the menopause. Um, the company that's not doing this, the organisations that are not recognising this, what are they risking? What's the cost to their business by not doing this? Well, it's massive because I think if you think about it logically, if you are to look at men, as men go through their career, they're seen as more experienced, more valuable, worth more generally. But the exact opposite of true is true for women. They're seen as sort of less worthwhile, less useful. And actually that's just wrong because actually women bring a huge amount of experience and knowledge to the workplace and diversity to the workplace and so it's vital that we retain this part of the workforce and if you think about it I mean there's been loads of studies and reports but you know the Fawcett report for example talks about how one in ten women are leaving the workplace now that's massive so even if you take the emotion out of this even if you take the support side of this out of it even if you take out the fact that it's the right thing to do to support this group of women from a financial point of view for an organisation, it's a disaster to lose one in 10 women with all this experience and knowledge. So I think it's about shifting mindsets and I think it's about really understanding not only is this a good thing to do because it's you know productive for your company, but actually it's financially very, very important for your organisation. And that takes us on to the next myth really, which is that menopause is such a personal matter that we shouldn't be talking about it at work. And some people will find it very personal, won't they, and won't necessarily want to talk about it. But why should we be trying to shed this view? Yeah, and I think that's an important point, Cathy, that, you know, there are some women that don't want to shout about their perimenopause and their menopause in the workplace. It's a, it's a private, personal thing. And, they, and you know, 75% of women suffer bothersome symptoms, but there are a percentage of women that don't. So I think we just need to acknowledge that, that it isn't, this isn't have to be for everybody. But I think from an organisation point of view, we already talked about one in 10 women leaving, but 20% of women also don't go for promotion. So if you're imagining that you've got this really experienced, knowledgeable cohort of women who are good at what they're doing, and then suddenly they're the ones not going for promotion, actually, again, your productivity in the, in the workforce changes, that diversity changes, and that's negative for the organisation. And I think the other thing to be thinking about is that 20% of women also leap, you know, consider leaving, in, uh, leaving the workforce at this time or reducing their hours. Again, just think about the cost of getting a recruiter in to get all these places filled. Just financially, morally, and from an experience level, it doesn't make sense not to look after this group of women. And that takes us nicely into the next stereotype, really, which is that the person experiencing menopause is always going to be a woman in her 50s. She's going to be experiencing flushes and sweats. And maybe she's actually thinking about retiring soon anyway, so has no career ambitions. What would you say to that? Hmm. Oh, it just makes me sad that we even said that because it's such, such nonsense, isn't it? As, it's, as we said before, you know, as a man goes through his career, he's seen as more valuable both from an experience point of view, from a, what he brings to the role, just that sense of authority that he has. And it seems to be um, culturally the exact opposite for women. And it's utter nonsense. And I think a woman going through the perimenopause and menopause does lose confidence. 
does find often that it's difficult to make decisions, often finds that their anxiety levels are higher, has memory issues perhaps in meetings where they're having to present something and then finds it difficult to find the words they're looking for. And all of that can make a woman feel like she's no good anymore. And also I think um, without the knowledge base about understanding what perimenopause and menopause is, it can sometimes make the workplace feel like they, she's not good anymore. But I think once we've got the education in place and once we've got the knowledge base and small tweaks and changes in place, actually what you do is you protect that knowledge, protect that um, experience that that person has and does the exact opposite, which is to allow that person to flourish and to thrive in the menopause, which I know a lot of women think you know, who are going through it, gosh, gosh, this is the end of me and there's nothing else. But actually, that's not the case. It's hugely possible to flourish in the menopause and it's hugely possible to thrive in the workplace during the menopause. So I think if we just turn the mindset upside down and start to see women from an equitable point of view with men and start to see what they bring rather than what they lose and to support them when they need it, actually, it's win-win for everybody. And I'm guessing, I'm guessing um, Claire, that this is a place where your coaching and your executive support comes into its own because it's not just from the organisational side, but it's helping the individual. Um, because I've heard people saying to me, you know, I, I feel that I have no option but to leave work or I have no option but to um, reduce my hours and not go for promotion. And I can imagine that that personal support may actually turn that round. I wonder if you want to just explain a little bit more about coaching at menopause. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it might be useful to start with a little example. So I was working with somebody recently, high-flying executive, and she just came to me and said, you know, I, I just don't think I can do this anymore. I'm, I'm hating it. I'm no good. I, I can't speak up in meetings. I, I, my brain feels foggy. I just don't feel like me. I feel like it's time to go. And we spent about six months working together. And at the end of the sessions together, actually, she ended up going for a promotion. She then ended up going for a you know, massive role, Europe, a European role. And everything in her career had changed, but a lot of that was down to her confidence levels, her mindset, her negative self-talk being overcome, and just understanding what she brought to the table. And that was through a coaching approach. And I think it's useful to understand what coaching is because we're talking about coaching, but I think a lot of people might not understand what it is. So the bare bones of it is that it's a talking process which is forward thinking and is based around setting goals and putting next steps in place to achieve those goals. To me, that's a very dry definition. So I like to think of it around noise. So when people come to see me, they tend to be experiencing a lot of noise in their head. Um, it tends to be just this constant feeling of rumination about, oh my goodness, well, I wake up on a Monday and think, oh, I should do this, or I wake up on a Tuesday and think, oh no, I should do that. And it's like, ah, I don't know which what to do or how to do it, feeling very stuck and not sure how to move forwards. There's also a lot of external noise, so from friends, family, relatives, work colleagues going, oh, I know what you should do, you should do this, why don't you work on that, sort out this, sort out that. And because they know and love you, it's very easy to kind of go, oh, okay, they know me, I'll just do what they say. And actually, that all of that creates you going down a path that isn't your path. And what coaching does is it gets rid of all the noise. So it gets rid of everything, that rumination, that exhaustion that comes with these thought processes that are overcrowding your mind the whole time and gives you this sense of clarity, focus and direction. So that's what coaching is and that's why it's, a, it's a, such a joyful process because it's often such a relief to people to suddenly work out what it is they want and also to give themselves permission to go for it, to actually reach out, to go and get what they want as opposed to what they think they should have wanted, which is a completely different thing. 
And then if we kind of ramp it up one more level is self-coaching. So coaching is when you tend to do it with somebody else like myself, but self-coaching is very similar techniques, very similar questions, which you can do on your own. And that's really brilliant because actually being able to do this on your own means that you can access it anytime, anywhere. And if you're feeling in a, in a bit of a pickle or you're stuck in a meeting, you think, oh my goodness, I don't know how to move forward on this, or I feel stressed, or I feel worried, or I feel anxious, or I can't concentrate, or ah, that feeling, just by asking yourself some simple questions can be really useful. And there's lots of different techniques that I teach people, but just two simple ones, which I think might be useful to touch on, Cathy is one is what I call the monthly self-check-in, um, which is I find really effective. It takes five minutes once a month. And what you do is you just ask yourself a question, which is, how am I doing? And instinctively, you give yourself an answer out of 10. So if naught is, oh, I feel really awful, and 10 is like, woo, woo, I'm like amazing, then you would give yourself a mark out of 10. So maybe you were a, a seven. And then you'd say to yourself, okay, I'm a seven out of 10, that feels really good right now. I'm really happy with a seven out of 10. That's fine. Or maybe you're a four, you think, Do you know what? I'd really like to be a six. Four doesn't feel very comfortable. I wonder what's going on with me. And then what you do is you break your life or your menopause, whichever way you want to look at it, into different sections. So if you were thinking about it from a menopause point of view, you might say, okay, I'm gonna break this into symptoms. So maybe my anxiety, my poor concentration, my nutrition, my sleep, my connection with others, might be the sections that you're looking at or you might split it into perhaps finances career uh, well-being exercise you know those those sort of sections and then for each section you give yourself a number out of 10 again really instinctively so you might say right sleep three out of ten um, you might say nutrition eight out of ten and yeah, I might look at this and go, actually, you know, eight feels brilliant. That's really good. I'm going to celebrate that. But my three, God, my sleep is really bad. And then you start to ask yourself some what questions, right? I'd like to be a five out of 10 for my sleep. It feels like a priority right now. What's, what's going on for me? What are the issues? What might I need to do to move forwards? What's the easiest first step? Who might help me? All these sort of what questions are really useful. And so doing that once a month helps you to work out where you are, start to pick up things before they drop off, to celebrate when things are improving, and just gives you a guide to work out what are the priorities, because you can't fix everything all at once, that feels too overwhelming, and then we all just kind of sit back and go, I think I'd rather not do anything and just become paralyzed. So it's a really good, simple technique. And then leading on for that, I thought it might be fun to do what we call a silent coaching exercise with everybody, um, if that's okay with you, Cathy. Yeah, that sounds good. So um, essentially what this is, um, I'd like everybody to grab a pen and paper. If you're out, out and about while you're listening to this, then you can do this in your head, but it's more effective if you write it down. What I'm gonna do is to um, basically ask a series of questions. Um, for some of you, it will be too fast. For some of you, it'll be too slow. Don't worry either way. If it's too fast, you could just you know, rewind this and have another listen, but just let things the first answer that comes to your head, I want you to write down. And whenever you're ready, I just want you to take a deep breath, turn off all the distractions around you. This will take about three or four minutes and just to take a moment that's just for you to experience a very simple, easy coaching exercise which you can do yourself at home. So here we go. What are the main issues for you right now? What are the main issues for you right now? Which of these issues 
are the priority right now? Which of these issues are the priority right now? What would you like to achieve in this area? What would you like to achieve in this area? If you were successful, what would it feel like? If you were successful, what would it feel like? This next one is one of my favorite questions. What assumptions are you making about this issue? What assumptions are you making about this issue? What has helped you before? What has helped you before? Who or what could help you now? Who or what could help you now? A very important one coming up now. What will happen if you do nothing? What will happen if you do nothing? If you had a really wise friend or mentor, what would they suggest that you do? If you had a really wise friend or mentor, what would they suggest that you do? What are the easiest, most manageable first steps that you could take? What are the possible, easiest, most manageable first steps that you could take? Look at your list of options. What will you commit to doing? Look at your list of options. What will you commit to doing? So in that very short time, Cathy, hopefully we've looked at an issue that's important for somebody, talked them through some very simple silent coaching questions and hopefully reached some sort of conclusion about something really simple they can do to move it forwards. That sounds so doable, which is lovely because sometimes, you know, people will tell you suggestions or you feel that maybe actually this is not a doable thing, but that simple exercise that you just took us through does feel that you could do it. You could sit down and, and make those steps that you've outlined. Thank you. Um, I wonder if we can move on to my rapid fire round. Um, some quick questions and really appreciate your thoughts on these. Um, in just a few words, would you describe the most common misconception about menopause? I'm sure there's lots, but what's your most common misconception you hear? <laughs> I think the co most common one is that menopause is just hot flushes and night sweats. Nonsense. Yeah, there's so much more, isn't there? I mean, we could spend ages on uh, joint pains, irritability, tiredness, vaginal dryness, bladder symptoms, bowel symptoms, etc., etc. So, yes, that is a misconception. Yeah, exactly. um, secondly, and this is maybe a challenge for you, but name the country that you believe sets the greatest example in terms of policies and cultural understanding of the menopause. So, I am going to be biased, but I think from my experience, Actually, the UK is far ahead of other countries. I work um, frequently on a global basis and it is remarkable how culturally we're far more open to the menopause as a concept, how it's really becoming sort of almost 
normal in a workplace to be talking about menopause for a huge amount of organisations. And this is really positive. And I think partly that's because of the Davina effect, what was happening on, our, um, on the TV and making it far more um, common to be talking about the menopause and to bring it into our homes. But I think also um, culturally we're just much more open to this concept. I think that is changing, but we are definitely very far ahead, which is amazing. Now clearly I am biased because I work in the UK, but that's the evidence that I've seen working on a global basis as well. I'd agree with you there as well, Claire, and I think it's interesting that uh, when we see the way that the menopause conversation has opened up, I like to think that actually it's allowed other conversations to open up as well. So we're now finding that people are much more open about talking about polycystic ovarian syndrome, endometriosis, heavy menstrual bleeding even in the workplace. Hopefully soon we'll hear a lot more about bladder symptoms. I know we've got the urinary tract infection guidelines and things coming out. So it's great that menopause is almost setting the tone, isn't it? A few years ago, you and I, you know, even a decade ago, you and I would not have been talking outside of a clinical situation about menopause. No. And isn't it scary when you mention all of that, how much women have to hide in the workplace or have had to hide in the workplace? You know, all of that, you know, gosh, I hope I don't leak. Oh gosh, I don't. I hope I don't have floods. Oh gosh, I hope I don't have a hot flush. Oh gosh, I hope I remember something. Oh gosh, I, you know, I've got fertility problems. How do I lie about this so that nobody knows? You know, it's it's enormous what women carry and have had to internalise, and it shouldn't be like that. And as you say, the landscape is changing, the conversation is changing, and that can only be positive for the individual. But as we keep saying, for the organisation, because if you can keep people feeling supported. They're more productive, they're happier, they stay longer, they want to be part of the community, they feel like they belong and when somebody feels like they belong in an organisation, they stay. They are motivated, they want to you know, take the organisation from strength to strength and that's another win-win, it just has to be. Yes, it's interesting. I was doing an event uh, recently and somebody actually said that they find it easier to talk about menopause at work now than they do with their family because actually the background that they come from, their culture, it's still quite taboo. Um, and I thought that's crazy, really. It's amazing that we've come that far in the UK. So why should employers care then about menopause? I mean, you've given us a huge number of things, but in one sentence, why should they care about perimenopause? I mean, there is a huge amount of reasons, but if we just take it out, all of the the good stuff, the rich stuff that we talked about, and because, and let's get down to money. From a, from a financial point of view, if you want your organisation to thrive, you need to look after your menopausal women. And it's really vital. So if you take out all the other stuff, all the happiness, the productivity, the belonging, all the, the fact that you actually um, improve people's lives, or take out all of that good stuff. From an organisational point of view, it makes financial sense. So that's, if anything, a fantastic reason to do it. Yeah. And what do you think is an oversight sometimes that businesses make when they think about menopause? They may well just be thinking about the well-being side of it and pulling it all together into the diversity programme, etc. What's a common thing, they, a mistake they might make? I think one of the commonest things that happens is that an organisation tells women what they should do. And I think that that is one of the biggest things that we have to kind of shift because you know, one woman's menopause is not the same as another woman's menopause. So, and there is nothing more um, 
demoralizing than when an organization comes up to you and say here love have a fan because actually that's not the same for everybody a fan might be a bit useful but actually it might be for some women that actually they're having terrible frequency issues with going for a wee all the time and actually it's really embarrassing walking across the office you know however many times a day but if their desk could be slightly ne nearer the toilet that would make a big difference for them or it might be they just need to be near an open window or it might be that their uniform is terrible from a menopause point of view and they're getting sweat patches the whole time or you know etc etc and actually if they could have a different uniform that would make a big difference it might be that actually they're most productive first thing in the morning and find it really difficult around three o'clock but actually if they could do the bulk of their team meetings in the morning that would really improve things for them both emotionally and productively you know from a from production point of view so shifting when they do their work to the times when they're most productive or their energy levels are higher all those sort of things could be really useful but as an organization if you go to a woman and say right blanket policy all menopausal women have x and y and z actually that can be really the wrong way to go so it's really about working out what your menopausal women want in your organization and asking them and sort of and making it very personalized and having that flexibility and really listening to what people need and want um, and there's a big difference between listening and hearing and so it's that sense of really taking on board what it is that they need and asking them for what they think the solutions might be to the issues because most of the time most women either as individuals or as small groups will have solutions that they feel will work for them. And sometimes they're quite simple solutions aren't they? I remember um, a person that I was looking after yeah. actually uh, when I was within the National Health Service and she had terrible sweats and her uniform uh, was dark purple and it showed every single sweat we had and yes we were able to address her hot flushes but actually what she needed was a white uniform because it didn't show the sweat as much and that's what she was able to do it was a very simple step um but it's not always within an organization is it it's not always as simple as perhaps we think yeah it, it isn't but i think sometimes it is that when you look at how many solutions there are out there that are that simple that sometimes actually we do overlook those so that conversely if you're somebody that's flooding a white uniform would be a disaster because you'd be terrified of you know that somebody would see that you are having lots of blood everywhere so they may want a black pair of trousers for example with a white top but just having that flexibility to understand that there might be different bits of the body that are, different things are happening at different times and and to be able to address that is really important so it's the flexibility i think that's really key I'd agree in the individual way that people experience their symptoms too. Um, so I'm going to paint a picture for you. Um, pretend you're an HR professional. I know you're not, but pretend you're an HR professional or a line manager. <laughs> Somebody comes to you in her 40s. She's got classic symptoms of perimenopause, particularly finding it difficult with memory loss and focus, concentration. And she's been noticeably absent from work. So you're the line manager. How are you going to approach this? I mean, that's a big question, um, but let's try and look at some of the pointers that I think would be useful. Um, and I don't want to teach the audience to suck eggs. I know that there is a huge amount of experience in the listeners today. But I think the biggest thing is to sort of strip it back. If somebody in the organisation knows, one of the employees knows that the managers, the HR team, the leadership team are educated in menopause, even just that bit, knowing that people know about menopause, helps to allow the conversation to be easier for the individual. And then creating an environment that feels very non-threatening. So making sure that 
perhaps the, when you approach the person, it's rather than, oh, we need to see you. It's like, okay, we'd like to have a conversation. Where would you like us to meet? Do you want to go out for coffee or a walk? Or would you like to sit in your office or my office? Where would be most comfortable for you? So that the person feels non-threatened to begin with. And then I think it's really about the listening bit because some women will not want to be labeled as perimenopausal or menopausal and saying, oh, you must be perimenopausal or menopausal and that's why you're doing this, this and this. Because actually for some women, it might be because of their perimenopausal or menopause, but for other women, it might not be. And being labeled, if you don't want that label or being labeled incorrectly is very detrimental. So I would go strip it straight back and go to the listening and just ask something very simple, which is how are you? What's going on for you at the moment? What are the areas that you feel might be harder? What could we do to help? What would be something that perhaps would make a big difference to you, perhaps that we haven't addressed before? What would be a good starting point? All of these what questions and taking a real space just to let the person speak and to share what's going on for them suddenly takes the atmosphere from being to and remember, it doesn't all have to be done in one conversation. So that the fact that building that rapport with the person, building the trust, helping them to recognize that what they say isn't gonna be held against them because that's a massive fear from people. If I say I'm having difficulty, I'm gonna be out in the next redundancy round, that sort of feeling. So sharing the fact that this is a confidential, safe space. We wanna hear, we wanna listen, we want to take on board what you're saying and we want to help is really useful. And not giving your labels to that person unless they want to be labeled. And that again comes from building that rapport and having the conversation in a way that allows the person to be in the center of the conversation as opposed to on the outside. So it comes back to this coaching approach, I think. I think that's really interesting. You've given such a great answer there because actually if people could be sure that that's the response they are gonna get from their line manager, then I feel that a lot more people would feel open and able to approach their managers um, and not feel invisible when these symptoms are going on at work. Thank you. Claire, I could talk to you forever, but today's conversation um, is coming to a close. Um, let's think about some of the things we've been talking about. Uh, we've talked about perimenopause, how people experience it in so many different ways, how the perimenopause often starts earlier than some people may expect, even though the average age is 51 across most people. And that symptoms vary hugely. You've discussed very eloquently about the need for empathy and education, supportive environment. We've heard about your coaching. I love the self-coaching exercise that you put us through. I can personally see myself using that. Uh, thank you. And you've highlighted the cost to business um, of not doing anything um, as well as what we can do. And we've talked about some of the practical steps that people can do. Um, before we close, I just give you the opportunity. Is there anything that we've missed? Anything that you'd like to add? Well, I mean, we could talk about actually this, as you say, for days. So we've obviously missed bits, but hopefully we've highlighted some of the key points. And I think for me, the biggest thing for an individual is to notice what your symptoms are, because I think a lot of women don't, and then to really prioritise what the key issues are for you at that particular moment for you and thinking about some easy things that you can change. For organisations, I would say change the culture. Think about being the openness and the support and really go down to bare bones by just starting to with education because once 
the team, the managers are educated, the leadership are educated, suddenly the conversation changes, suddenly the culture in the organisation changes and I think that's really powerful. Claire, thank you so much for uh, speaking with me today. Did you have something else you wanted to say? No, I was just going to share actually just on that, that, uh, you know, it's that I have loads of free resources on my Instagram page. So I'm always, I'm obsessed with social media. So there's lots of free tips, tricks and resources available for, you know, HR managers, but also for individuals. So if you follow me on Instagram um, at Dr. Claire K Coaching, I'm also on LinkedIn and uh, you can also check out my website, which is drclairek.com. Thank you. And we will be linking to your resources as well when we um, advertise the pay-up talks. Um, so thank you, Claire. We've learned so much. Uh, thank you to all of you listening as well for joining us today on Pep Talks, Health Matters at Work. If, like me, you love talking about everything related to health and work, subscribe, leave a review for us and tell others about it. We'd love to hear what you would like us to talk about in the future. And join me next time at Pep Talks when I'll be joined by women's health and fertility expert Laura Carter-Pennham, who will be continuing our conversation around fertility awareness. Thank you. Bye-bye.